Norma, would you pray for our time in the Word and in fellowship?
Jesus, God, you have redeemed us. You purchased us with your blood, Father. You have filled us with your Holy Spirit. You've adopted us into your family. You've given us the right to call you Abba, Father. Lord, there's none like you. Great is your love and your salvation, Lord Jesus. Oh, how I pray, God, that we would never take it for granted, Lord. That we would testify, Father. Lord, that we would declare, Father, the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So, Father, I thank you yet for another opportunity to, Father, just open up your word. The Holy Spirit, that you would just lead, guide, and direct us today through it. You ultimately are our teacher, our counselor, our guide. And oh, how we need you, because this is a spirit-filled life that we are to be walking in step with you, Holy Spirit. And so, Father, I thank you. As we come and sit at your feet, Lord Jesus, may we not be distracted, but God, may we just set our gaze upon you, Father, and we, with one heart cry, say yes, Lord, that we are in agreement to your word, to your truth, to your call, for your kingdom, and for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 It's Pentecost Sunday. Go to Acts chapter 1, where we're going to head to. And Carrie, of course, mm-hmm. I don't have them in the notes, but if you would add Acts chapter 1, just to remind us about today. Acts chapter 1, verse 6 is where we're heading. Through 11. 
We're going to start here, and then we'll go to Acts chapter 2, but let's look at Acts chapter 1. Verse 6, so when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power. Mm. But you will receive power. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Just stop there for a second. These are Jesus' words. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And by that, you all, listen to the next words that Jesus spoke. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. These were the same men that scattered. These were the same people that ran when Jesus was arrested. When he was crucified, he rose again. They're gathering around him again. And now he's telling them, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Don't forget, before this event, Jesus taught them and said, I have to go away so that he will come. Who? The Holy Spirit. He's your counselor. He's your guide. He's your teacher. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching. And they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven... Two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said. Why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven. But someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Acts 2, verse 1 through 6. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other language as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. The Holy Spirit, you all, has been given to the church. It's not an it. It's not a force. It's God. He's God. Father, the Son, 
the Holy Spirit. Three in one. God in you. To accomplish the purpose of God. To have a people that He will call His own, and in return they will call Him their God. A people that are set apart, and I love one of the things about the Holy Spirit is that He seals us until the day of redemption. That assurance that we have, if we're truly in Christ, we have received the Holy Spirit. We are sealed until the day of redemption. And yet also we're called not to live lives that grieve Him. We're told all through the New Testament how we're to live now. Not of our old nature, but of the Spirit. Learning, because we are born again. Remember, we studied this, I think, last week. Nicodemus talking to Jesus. She says you must be born again of the Spirit. This is a new way of living. This isn't carrying over your old way and just stamping Jesus on your life. That's not Christianity. It's not Christianity at all. This is a transformed life. This is a life that has been totally surrendered to Christ, to His Lordship. A life now saying, no longer I, but you. How now then shall I live? You've given me everything I need to live a godly life. So Holy Spirit, have your way. (laughs) Convict me, guide me, lead me, but above all, Empower me from on high. I don't want to live in the temporalness of this life any longer. I understand through your word that my flesh and the spirit, they war against each other. But I also understand that greater is in he that is in me than he that is in this world. And I can choose to lay down my life. Application, you all. Sustained effort and hard work. We're almost into the sixth month of this year. And we continue to hear this word, application. Don't know what you're doing with it, but I hope and I pray something is being done in your life with it. That you're being challenged daily to live for Jesus. Sustained effort. It's just not on a Sunday morning or you know, when it's convenient for you. But it's a way of living now. Sustained effort. It's hard work. It's from the root word apply to give one's full attention to a task, to work hard. And here's the encouragement. Applying the Bible is the duty of all Christians. If we don't apply it, the Bible becomes nothing more to us than a normal book, an impractical collection of old manuscripts. That's why Paul says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Do you understand that promise? The God of peace, the God of wholeness will be with you as you are applying his truth. Yet though it is sustained effort, yet though it is hard work, we can rest assured that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. It's not exhausting. 
But you must press in. And then the promise that we have here that God, the God of peace is with us. When we apply the Bible, God himself is with us to the degree, to the degree to which we study, memorize and meditate on God's word is the degree to which we understand how it applies to our lives. But understanding how the word applies is not enough. We must actually apply it. Application implies action. And obedient action is the final step in causing God's word to come to life in our lives. The application of scripture enforces and further enlightens our study. And it also serves to sharpen our discernment. And God, how we all should hear this in our sleep and throughout our day, helping us to better distinguish between good and evil. Because we're to be the people of God, doing the will of God for the glory of God. But to distinguish between good and evil. I've shared with you all before that there's a great awakening taking place upon the earth. And you don't have to be saved to recognize that something is happening in the earth. I want you to hear, this isn't, this is from another guy that I follow that's not saved. But I can tell that something is stirring up in him. He writes on his posts constantly about the state of mankind throughout the earth. But I found it interesting as he posted this late last night. We're at the very tail end of the old system. I can feel it throughout humanity. Call it the coming shift, the apocalypse, ascension, or whatever. There has to be some kind of mass event coming soon. I know each of you feel it as well. It's almost like purgatory feeling. And each of us are either getting ready to be called on or left behind. The energy definitely can't be ignored. He's, un- he's not saved. The unsaved are recognizing there's something going on in the earth. We are living in a time, in a day, in an age unlike we've ever seen before on the earth. And I've been trying to encourage us that that's why we can't continue to do church as we've done church. Like we must apply the truths in which we know and get deeper and allow our roots to grow down deeper into Christ so that then we are representing Christ in a generation that the hatred of Christ, the hatred of of the church is at an all time high than it's ever been on the face of the earth. And it's only growing. And understand that. Understand that my heart has been so burdened the past couple of days. I'm like, Jesus. And when I say we, I'm just not talking about us here. I'm just talking about we as the church. Like, God, are we getting it? Like, when I read what's happening in North Korea... When I, when I see and I hear the reports coming and then a two-year-old in North Korea 
was just punished to serve life in prison. Because they found a Bible in the home. The parents were executed. A child's not going to know anything but prison. And that's just, I mean, that's, you can just look around the earth and see what's happening. I mean, you could just see what's happening just within denominations, even in the West. And I told you last week, it's chaos what's happening. Everyone has their opinion about the church, about Jesus, about God, and blah. And I say, God, are we really ready to stand for you in this day? Do we truly understand? Are we truly encouraging each other, edifying each other, building each other up? Are we getting around our loved ones who are Christians and praying for our unsaved loved ones? Are we, when we're around our unsaved loved ones, do they recognize that there's something different about us or do we just continue to go along with them? Like, listen, it's not, it's not like it used to be. Nor should it have ever been that way. (laughs) But definitely today, it is not time to continue to be lulled asleep, to remain who you were, to allow the chaos in your mind and your own desires and your sin to master you. You... If you're calling yourself a Christian, should understand what it is to, to get discipled, to apply God's truth, to, to know your identity as you know Him. And now then, how are you living? How are you cultivating Christ in your life daily? Because it's only going to get darker But you should be growing brighter. The level of darkness that is rising. And yet, and yet, years ago, they used to tie Christians to lampposts and light them on fire to be the light for the streets as people were out partying and carrying on. The earth hasn't seen anything yet what they're about to do to God's people. And you say, oh, that's, you're an extremist. And I said that last week. No, I'm not an extremist. I'm just a realist. Because that's the reality. And yet we're not sharing Christ. And yet we're not upholding the standard for ourselves but yet we want to demand other people. We're not holding brothers and sisters accountable. We're just allowing ourselves just to continue. And I have been, just the past couple of days, I've just been like, God. And I've so enjoyed my encounters with the unsaved, Mm -hmm. more so than I have the church. 
And I've been thinking about the past couple of days, and especially my conversation this morning with this waitress. I said, God, it reminds me of when you said the parable, when you, 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 you have, you're holding this feast and you invite the people who should be running to the feast, but they're too busy. They're too busy. We got our lives. We got our families. We got this. We got that schedule. We got this. We got this problem. And then, so, King says, well, then go out in the byways. (laughs) Bring in those, the least of the least, in. That's the problem. And we're just banging our heads up against the wall with people who keep calling themselves Christians and not even living like Christ. And yet the people out there who aren't calling themselves Christians, they're just hungry, like this guy I just read. They're just hungry for spiritual truth, like the waitress this morning. is going on. Like this shifting that's taking place all throughout the earth. Like application law is vital. It's vital. How are you growing? You just can't be named, I'm a Christian. (laughs) And then you don't even look like Jesus. some of you to do good to tell your face you're a Christian. Like a freaking wall. I'm like, man, we're so religious. We can cite this and we can cite that and we can do this and we can do that. But where's Christ? Where's the burden for the lost? Where's the burden to do the will of God? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, with all of your strength. It's a beautiful song that was played. I surrender all. And Christians, I I surrender. And then you look at their lives and say, what have you surrendered? You're so caught up in the moment. Now in the words to flow and, oh, this feels good. But is that really the truth that defines you? Have you laid down your loved ones? Have you surrendered them to Christ? Well, then stop picking them back up. Have you laid your desires down? Well, stop going back. Have you, have you laid down your insecurities? Have you laid down your past? Have you died to yourself? Because that's the Christian life. Like, no longer I, God. But it's you. I mean, Jesus himself says, you keep putting relationships before me. 
And you're not fit for my kingdom. You keep doing this and you keep doing that and you keep making all of this before me. You keep remaining in rebellion. A lot of people are doing things they ought not to be doing. God hasn't told them to do it. <laughs> but I'm a Christian. I'm anointed. God speaks to me. Well, you're not listening. This is the reality that we're dealing with. Ultimately, as we're applying the word of God, we should be growing in the level of discernment so that we have an understanding and we can discern between good and evil. And that which is being paraded around now as good is actually evil. And you're going to look like the outcast. You're going to look like the troublemaker. I mean, the church within itself, the church system within itself, they are devouring each other. I go, ugh. It's almost embarrassing. I don't even want to say I'm a Christian. (laughs) Then I have to remember I'm not associated with the System, I'm associated with Christ. Yes. So I'm not ashamed of Christ. The system in and of itself, oh yeah, it's ruled by Satan. The system. The actual church, though, she's the bride of Christ. And she's pure and beautiful. She loves Christ. But the system, ugh, it's making a mockery of Christ. That's what the enemy does. Comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And as I was sharing last week or the week before, we, as the church system, man, it's done a good job in trying to disqualify the Holy Spirit. Most churches don't even talk about the Holy Spirit. I'm uncomfortable. (laughs) Then you have the other extreme. They're rolling around barking, carrying on like craziness. It's all out of order. And that's what the enemy does. He perverts everything that God has given. And then there's the other group that makes the gifts more important than the one who gives the gifts. And I've always told you, I'm not impressed with people's gifts. I can't tell you over the past 25 years, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. Especially if your character's not intact. You can draw a crowd. Lay hands and multitudes be healed. Speak a prophetic word. But if your character isn't Christ-like, God will use a donkey. You know? Then we got to get back, you all, to 
Christ. We gotta get back to understanding whom we're saying we believe in. In the natural, it doesn't make any sense. That's why it must be a belief that is birth of the Spirit. That our eyes have been opened because before Christ, our eyes are blinded by Satan. But our eyes have been opened. What? We have been purchased. He shed his blood. God so loved us, even though we were an enemy of his. But he sent his son to take upon the wrath that we deserve. He paid the price that we might live. He's filled us with his Holy Spirit. He sealed us. He's marked us as his own. He's called us to be holy as he is holy. There is a way now in which we are supposed to live. And collectively, he's birthed the church so that we're not left alone doing it upon the earth. So that we come together, empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's why the Holy Spirit distributes the gifts among the church. So that the church will grow and mature, complete, not lacking anything. So that we can accomplish what God has called us to do in our generation. To prepare ultimately for His coming. For the restoration of what God has promised. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are called first to seek first his kingdom. We're to be kingdom-minded people. But I went around the room. And if your minds and your hearts could be exposed to all of us, like, are we truly kingdom-minded and if you're not, it's not to beat yourself up. Like, I'm a bad Christian. Oh, I don't measure up. You see, because when we talk that way, when we act that way, we're only looking at ourselves. But if we're truly convicted, like, oh, God, what have I been doing with what I've been given? Or, oh, God, I, what am I doing just sitting here and, and this is being revealed to me? And, like, God, I don't, I, oh, and you just feel broken, and then you just say, okay, God, I'm sorry. Like, God, I want to believe. Help me with my unbelief. And there's a way to commune and to talk with God because that's what he desires from us. It's not God stiff-arming us, keeping us from him. No, God is always drawing us to himself via the Holy Spirit. Since the moment you came out of the womb, God's been after you. Not to harm you, but just to love you. But if you choose his raft over his love, that's you denying him. When all along, he's been pursuing and pursuing and pursuing and pursuing so that you may live life to the fullest. Even in chaos. I was mentoring a group of youth the other day, and around the table, one of them asked me, she was like, Rob, 
How do you maintain and sustain joy? That's all that simple. Abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. Because the Bible says apart from Him you can do nothing. It doesn't mean you won't have challenging circumstances. Being joyful doesn't make, mean that you're happy and giddy all the time. But joy. Joy. Hope. The ultimate expression of hope is joy. That it doesn't matter my circumstances. It doesn't matter what I'm going through or what's ahead for us. What sustains us as Christians is joy. The joy of the Lord is our what? Strength. Strength. You see, again, this can't just be words. That sounds good in the moment. (laughs) But it has to be our truth. Like He is sustaining us. He is keeping us. And he has called us to go forth. I don't know how you prepared your heart today. I really don't. And maybe you say, well, I didn't. And I would say, but why not? And again, oh, I'm a bad Christian. No, it's just the reality. Are you a Christian? I wouldn't even call you a bad Christian. I would just say, are you a Christian? That's my concern for you. Because listen, do you realize what you're getting up and you're, especially if you're calling yourself a Christian, especially when you're understanding that, okay, wait a minute. This is more than just a religious system. This is God. This is God's Son coming down to rescue mankind that is in rebellion towards Him filling them with His Holy Spirit, God Himself in them, setting them apart to accomplish His purpose and His will. They are to forsake and leave everything behind and go and do the will of God with power of the Holy Spirit within them. And you just rolled out of bed and got up. Didn't prepare your heart for the day, for the warfare that's been assigned against you from the enemy. This realm in which you cannot see is engaging your life. This world system is out to confuse your mind and your heart. And your very nature in and of itself hates your new identity in Christ. Because it hates Christ. Mm -hmm. And we're just getting up and going about our day. And then once you get up, once you cultivate a right heart attitude, once before you place your foot on the bed, you've already done some warfaring praying. And now you're just making it and going through the day. Maintaining that same posture. Learning what that looks like. Taking thoughts captive. 
defeating strongholds, taking authority, ministering the gospel, serving, loving others, thinking of others before you think of yourself. No, you go first. You have. (laughs) And allowing it all to change. Do you realize what you're fighting for? The position, the things, the needs, the wants, the relationships, blah, blah, blah. All of it is dying and rotting. And that is what you're living for. That's what you're cultivating your life for. And your chaos mind. And your chaotic craziness around you. It's all rotting. Even the people you say you so-called love. Well, because they're blood. Jesus. Good Lord, help us. And we got to wake up. If we're truly the church, we got to wake up to the reality of whom we say we believe in and who we are now in him. And we ought to train up the youth. We ought to train up the youth. Man, I heard an incredible testimony from a young man and his wife who was serving local high schools and middle schools. God called them out of the office in which I served in, and they, they called them into one of our high school and, and, and middle school ministry. And just as they were beginning this ministry and engaging with the, 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 the youth and not really seeing a lot going on, he came down with thyroid cancer, an aggressive cancer. And he said it so much, his mindset was that it was a setback. But he said he was outside jogging one morning. And then in tears, he was like, God, if this is what kills me, I'm okay. I just want the rest of my life for your glory. He said he got a call that afternoon from this young man that he met in the hallway. I said, hey, I've got six other young men that want to meet. They have questions about Jesus. I was like, God. And that was during COVID. Saw pictures of them sitting in the backyard, distance with masks. And now it's just blossomed over 80 youth and it just keeps growing he's like God there's a hunger for the youth and then he challenged the staff and he challenged people Christians he was like you're not ministering to your youth he says the majority of them that come from quote unquote Christian homes and they don't even know the God in whom the parents say that they love like we gotta do better church This is the reality. Not in and of our own strength, but loving God. Seeking God. Upholding His truth. Cultivating our lives and our environments for the honor and the glory that's due to Him. I mean, that's the reality. It's the reality. 
It's all for Jesus, you all. Go to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. Verse 10. I think I did this last time, Carrie. Actually, let's start at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 11. I hear this word. These are scriptures to encourage you for application. And again, the application is not based on your doing. It's based on you yielding and allowing the Holy Spirit to do through you. By His divine power. Whose? God's. God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know Him, the One who called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. And because of His glory and excellence, He has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share His divine nature and escape the world's corruption Caused by human desires. In view of all of this, make every effort. You understand? Did you just hear the transition? In view of everything you just heard, make every effort then to respond to God's promises. Supplement or add to your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things. Ah, I love this. And you will never fall away. Then God will give you, then God, let's listen to this promise. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You are to be applying. You are to be growing. You are to be maturing. That's why you've always heard me say, if your so-called Christian life is what it was like yesterday or six months ago, or 10 years ago, uh, something's wrong. I know we all like to poof your Christian, poof your Christian, poof your Christian, poof your Christian. Everyone's a Christian, but that's a lie. That is a lie. If there is no growth, if there is no transformation, you're only holding a form of religion, and the truth isn't in you. And you say, well, that's harsh, but that's truth. You know what it says here? Well, I don't believe it. Well, you don't have to believe it. Your unbelief does not change what God has already established. Mm. 
I've learned to really, 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 I've learned to be like, God, that's the best compliment anyone could ever give me. So when they say, you're a pastor? Okay. I'm like, yeah. Wow, you don't look like a pastor. So what does a pastor look like? Well, I kind of, they're really not engaging. You know, or I feel, I, I've never sat down and talked. It's like this woman today, I just, I guess I kind of wish I could just sit with her all day. I would rather sit with her all day. Like I was like, God, her and I would just have the most amazing day together. She just had so much just to uh, open up about. I've never seen her before. I was just like, wow. Oh. I didn't even have my Jesus shirt on. I just rolled out of the bed. I'm looking a mess. And I was just like, God. But I've heard that throughout the years. And at first, you should be like, well, that's offensive. But then I'm like, well, no, not really. <laughs> like, actually, I'm okay with that. Because I don't want to have a form. I don't, I don't want to be like, I don't feel like make, make people feel I'm above them. No, I want to meet them right where they are. I don't have to change who I am for them. I didn't do anything different to make her feel comfortable to share with me. And I was able to tell. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't change this. She's like, no, I just feel great. I feel great. I'm thank you so much for listening to me. Like, you know, it doesn't change. And so rather a pastor or they say, oh, you're a Christian. Well, I'm not used to Christians being so open to, to, to hear me out or to, to love on me or to listen. They're really quick to, to come at me. And we ought not to be. But that's what people perceive Christians to be. And I'm not saying we don't hold a standard because we are to raise a standard up. And unfortunately, I think when we really get bold and aggressive in raising the standard, it's in here. For those who feel comfortable just sitting among us, acting like one of us. Out there, what am I going out there to raise a standard? They lost. I was once like them. We need wisdom as we go about navigating. To be able to sit and just converse and to talk and to hear them out. Like that man yesterday. He was carrying on about his life, his wife, his drinking, his this and that. And then he looks at my email and he goes, huh, oh, you know, I'm sorry. Oh, don't worry about it. I had to sit there and preach a sermon to him. I didn't even have to do the convicting. Him just seeing he's forever to be praised at yahoo.com. He felt that conviction in himself. I had to stand there smug and arch my back up and put my hands back and be like, Sinner! <laughs> no, it's, hey... There's a way in which we just need to live, you all. And did you hear the scripture? Like it first starts all here with us. This is how you're to be growing. And if you're not, if you're not, come on. 
Stop playing. Stop playing. Stop it. Like it's tiring. It really is. It's tiring. It's like, oh my goodness. Here you are again. Miserable. Same day. Oh, yeah, guys, it's been for the past whatever long. He said, oh, well, then you're making fun of me. No, I'm not making fun of you, but that's just the reality. You don't know my circumstances. Well, you don't know mine. Good God. But come on. You got to get up. You got a war. You got to cultivate. You got to be Christ like. Go to 1 Timothy. Chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. Keep a close watch on how you live. And on your teaching. Stay true to what is right. And listen to this. For the sake of your own salvation. And then the salvation of those who hear you. Keep a close watch on how you live. And on your teaching. And this isn't just for pastors or evangelists or anyone else in quote unquote a position in the church. This is just Christians. Like your life is a living testimony. You're an epistle that is being read. <laughs> That's the reality. So keep a close watch on how you live and on keeping and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. The attributes of God. We're at the end of at least the ones I've selected for us. 15 of them. I'm giving you the 15th one today. We've had 14. I'm going to read through the ones we've heard. God is infinite. He is self-existing without origin. God is immutable. He never changes. God is self-sufficient. He has no needs. God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. God is omnipresent. He is always everywhere. God is wise. He is full of perfect, unchanging wisdom. God is faithful. He is infinitely, unchangingly true. God is good. He is infinitely, unchangingly kind and full of goodwill. God is just. He is infinitely, unchangeably right and perfect in all he does. God is merciful. He is infinitely, unchangeably compassionate and kind. God is gracious. God is infinitely inclined to spare the guilty. 
God is loving. God is infinitely, unchangingly loves us. God is holy. He is infinitely, unchangingly perfect. And then today, God is glorious. He is infinitely beautiful and great. From Habakkuk 3, verse 4. His radiance is like the sunlight. He has rays flashing from his hand. And there is the hiding of his power. John Piper defines God's glory like this. The glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of God's manifold perfections. The infinite beauty... And I'm focusing on the manifestation of his character and his worth and his attributes. All of his perfections and greatness are beautiful as they are seen. And and there are many of them. That is why I use the word manifold. Ligonier.org writes this about the glory of God. When we think of the glory of the Lord, the image of brilliant light often comes to our minds. That is certainly appropriate, as Scripture often describes the glory of God on terms of a light that shines brighter than anything we experience on earth. The glory of God is, of course, inseparable from His other attributes. So God is eternally, infinitely, unchangingly glorious. His radiance and beauty emanate from all that he is and all that he does. Isaiah 43 verse 7 says that man was created. Oh God, hear this. Isaiah 43 7 says man, you, me, was created by God for his glory. So our whole existence and purpose is to glorify him. As we are created in his image and do the work he has prepared for us to do, inevitably man will try to find glory in other things or try and make himself an object of glory. And when those things fail to bring us satisfaction, we must decide to humble ourselves and turn our gaze back to the only one who is worthy of glory. Glory. Go to 1 Chronicles. We're walking through scriptures. We're picking back up. Chronicles. 1 Chronicles chapter 24 through 26. Carrie, if you'll get that ready to play, but don't hit play yet. Let me remind us about Chronicles. It is a book written to those who are being led back into the promised land. 1 Chronicles 24, to remind them, first and foremost, who their God is and what God has instructed his people to do. To know him and to know their identity as his people, that they would be different than the other nations. And as we're learning and as we're seeing all through scripture, starting with Adam and Eve, They couldn't accomplish what God purposed for them. In Israel, they couldn't accomplish what God purposed for them. There's only one who accomplished it, Jesus. 
Adam and Eve in Israel was just foreshadowing Christ. Ultimately, God himself would come and accomplish what he has purposed. That he will gather a people to himself and they will be his. And he will be there. Their God. And that's beautiful, y'all. Man couldn't pin this. Hollywood can't script this. God has purposed it. God has planned it. And He is opening up our eyes to see the fullness, the expression of His love to creation. That He would save us and call us His own. But these people coming back they had no identity. They only knew slavery. They only knew bondage. Like the generations way before them who God brought out of slavery. Now yet we have another generation coming back. And they're being reminded. And as it is with our generation, the chains are being broken. Captives are being set free. They need to be reminded of who God is and who they are in Christ. Carrie, would you play these scriptures for us? Chapter 24 through 26. Playing from Carrie's iPhone. Aaron's descendants, the priests, were divided into groups for service. The sons of Aaron were Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar. But Nadab and Abihu died before their father, and they had no sons. So only Eleazar and Ithamar were left to carry on as priests. With the help of Zadok, who was a descendant of Eleazar, and of Ahimelech, who was a descendant of Ithamar, David divided Aaron's descendants into groups according to their various duties. Eleazar's descendants were divided into 16 groups, and Ithamar's into 8, for there were more family leaders among the descendants of Eleazar. All tasks were assigned to the various groups by means of sacred lots, so that no preference would be shown. For there were many qualified officials serving God in the sanctuary from among the descendants of both Eleazar and Ithamar. Shimeah, son of Nethanel, a Levite, acted as secretary and wrote down the names and assignments in the presence of the king, the officials, Zadok the priest, Ahimelech, son of Abiathar, and the family leaders of the priests and Levites. The descendants of Eleazar and Ithamar took turns casting lots. The first lot fell to Jehoiarib. The second lot fell to Jediah. The third lot fell to Hiram. The fourth lot fell to Seorim. The fifth lot fell to Melchijah. The sixth lot fell to Mijanin. The seventh lot fell to Hakos. The eighth lot fell to Abijah. The ninth lot fell to Jeshua. The tenth lot fell to Shechaniah. The eleventh lot fell to Eliashib. The twelfth lot fell to Jacob. The thirteenth lot fell to Hupa. The fourteenth lot fell to Jeshabiah. The fifteenth lot fell to Bilgah. The sixteenth lot fell to Immer. The seventeenth lot fell to Hezer. The eighteenth lot fell to Hapizes. The nineteenth lot fell to Pethahiah. The twentieth lot fell to Jehezkel. The twenty-first lot fell to Jacob. The twenty-second lot fell to Gamul. The twenty-third lot fell to Deliah. The twenty-fourth lot 
fell to Maaziah. Each group carried out its appointed duties in the house of the Lord according to the procedures established by their ancestor Aaron in obedience to the commands of the Lord, the God of Israel. Family leaders among the Levites. These were the other family leaders descended from Levi. From the descendants of Amram, the leader was Shabul. From the descendants of Shabul, the leader was Jediah. From the descendants of Rehabiah, the leader was Ishiah. From the descendants of Izhar, the leader was Shalmith. From the descendants of Shalmith, the leader was Jahath. From the descendants of Hebron, Jeriah was the leader. Amariah was second, Jehaziel was third, and Jechameam was fourth. From the descendants of Uziel, the leader was Micah. From the descendants of Micah, the leader was Shamer, along with Ishiah, the brother of Micah. From the descendants of Ishiah, the leader was Zechariah. From the descendants of Merari, the leaders were Malai and Mushai. From the descendants of Jeaziah, the leader was Bino. From the descendants of Merari, through Jeaziah, the leaders were Bino, Shoham, Zakur, and Ibri. From the descendants of Malai, the leader was Eleazar, though he had no sons. From the descendants of Kish, the leader was Jeremiah. From the descendants of Mushai, the leaders were Malai, Eder, and Jeremoth. These were the descendants of Levi in their various families. Like the descendants of Aaron, they were assigned to their duties by means of sacred lots, without regard to age or rank. Lots were drawn in the presence of King David, Zadok, Ahimelech, and the family leaders of the priests and the Levites. Chapter 25, Duties of the Musicians. David and the army commanders then appointed men from the families of Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun to proclaim God's messages to the accompaniment of lyres, harps, and cymbals. Here is a list of their names and their work. From the sons of Asaph, there were Zakur, Joseph, Nathaniah, and Ezerel. They worked under the direction of their father Asaph, who proclaimed God's messages by the king's orders. From the sons of Jeduthun, there were Gedaliah, Zerai, Jeshaiah, Shimei, Hashabiah, and Mattathiah, six in all. They worked under the direction of their father Jeduthun, who proclaimed God's messages to the accompaniment of the lyre, offering thanks and praise to the Lord. From the sons of Heman, there were Bukiah, Mataniah, Uziel, Shubael, Jeremoth, Hananiah, Hanani, Eliatha, Gedaltai, Romantiezer, Joshbekesha, Malothi, Hathir, and Mahazioth. All these were the sons of Heman, the king's seer, for God had honored him with fourteen sons and three daughters. All these men were under the direction of their fathers as they made music at the house of the Lord. Their responsibilities included the playing of cymbals, harps, and lyres at the house of God. Asaph, Jeduthun, and Heman reported directly to the king. They and their families were all trained in making music before the Lord, and each of them, 288 in all, was an accomplished musician. The musicians were appointed to their term of service by means of sacred lots, without regard to whether they were young or old, teacher or student. The first lot fell to Joseph of the Asaph clan and twelve of his sons and relatives. The second lot fell to Gedaliah and twelve of his sons and relatives. The third lot fell to Zakur and twelve of his sons and relatives. The fourth lot fell to Zerai and twelve of his sons and relatives. The fifth lot 
fell to Nathaniah and twelve of his sons and relatives. The sixth lot fell to Bukiah and twelve of his sons and relatives. The seventh lot fell to Asarela and twelve of his sons and relatives. The eighth lot fell to Jeshaiah and twelve of his sons and relatives. The ninth lot fell to Mataniah and twelve of his sons and relatives. The tenth lot fell to Shimei and twelve of his sons and relatives. The eleventh lot fell to Uziel and twelve of his sons and relatives. The twelfth lot fell to Hashabiah and twelve of his sons and relatives. The thirteenth lot fell to Shubael and twelve of his sons and relatives. The fourteenth lot fell to Mattathiah and twelve of his sons and relatives. The fifteenth lot fell to Jeremoth and twelve of his sons and relatives. The sixteenth lot fell to Hananiah and twelve of his sons and relatives. The seventeenth lot fell to Josh Bekesha and twelve of his sons and relatives. The eighteenth lot fell to Hananiah and twelve of his sons and relatives. The nineteenth lot fell to Malathi and twelve of his sons and relatives. The twentieth lot fell to Eliatha and twelve of his sons and relatives. The twenty-first lot fell to Hathor and twelve of his sons and relatives. The twenty-second lot fell to Gedaltai and twelve of his sons and relatives. The twenty-third lot fell to Mahazioth and twelve of his sons and relatives. The twenty-fourth lot fell to Ramamti Ezer and twelve of his sons and relatives. Chapter 26. Duties of the Gatekeepers. These are the divisions of the gatekeepers. From the Korahites there was Meshelamiah, son of Kor, of the family of Abiaseth. The sons of Meshelamiah were Zechariah the oldest, Jediel the second, Zebediah the third, Jathniel the fourth, Elam the fifth, Jehohanan the sixth, and Elioenai the seventh. The sons of Obed-Edom, also gatekeepers, were Shemaiah the oldest, Jehozabad the second, Joah the third, Sechor the fourth, Nathanel the fifth, Amiel the sixth, Issachar the seventh, and Peulathai the eighth. God had richly blessed Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom's son Shimeah had sons with great ability who earned positions of great authority in the clan. Their names were Othni, Raphael, Obed, and Elzabad. Their relatives Elihu and Semachiah were also very capable men. All of these descendants of Obed-Edom, including their sons and grandsons, 62 of them in all, were very capable men, well qualified for their work. Meshelamiah's 18 sons and relatives were also very capable men. Hosa of the Mirari clan appointed Shimri as the leader among his sons, though he was not the oldest. His other sons included Hilkiah the second, Tebaliah the third, and Zechariah the fourth. Hosa's sons and relatives, who served as gatekeepers, numbered 13 in all. These... Thank you, Carrie. Some commentary on these verses. And I know, ah, hearing that can be boring, but don't get bored with the Word of God. There's a reason for it all. So just perk yourself up, pay attention, hear how everything's being instructed to these people, again, who had no identity. Now they have one. But who are they? But here's some commentary from verse 6 and 7 from chapter 25. The Levitical musicians were able to devote their whole lives to worshiping God through music. So many became very skillful in their craft. 
As apprentices, Levites had to memorize vast amounts of sacred music. After the return from exile, they lived together in communities when they were not on duty. The Levite musicians were on a rotation of serving in the temple during times of service. The Levites would remain and live in the temple around the clock. The Levites were considered a critical part of temple worship. Verses 8 through 31 of chapter 25. This is not just a record of names. The designation of 24 clan division by sacred lot set forth godly patterns in worship community for those returning from being exiled. The chronicler emphasizes the reformation of proper music ministry is key, hear that, to restoring proper worship. Again, all the details for God's people to truly know who their God is, to know Him and to know who they are, their identity of people who belong to Him. And oh, how that should be for us. Go to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, verse 1 through 12. We pick up, we left off a few weeks ago when we were talking about it. Um, through Romans, about the Ten Commandments, about the law. Paul was, again, addressing the church in Rome. It was a church that was mixed, like a good mixture of Jews and Gentiles. And there was some confusion going on there. The Jews was trying to basically lord over the Gentiles, talking about circumcision. It was just a big mess going on about the law. And so Paul is instructing them that ultimately it was Christ who took our punishment, that everything pointed to Christ, and in Christ they're one people now. Well, we pick up, because the Jews were heavenly, (laughs) prideful, if you would, in the fact that they were the children of Abraham. And in reality, no, we all are. Rather, you are Jew or Gentile. We are all children of Abraham. And God, I hope you all grow and you all do some study. Because man, when that truly comes to light, you're like, what? Like from the beginning, when God called Abraham, he was a pagan man. (laughs) And God called him out and said, through you, you're going to be a father of many, of many. So we pick up here, Paul's further explaining to this congregation. Abraham was, humbly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. 
Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleansed of sin. Now, in this blessing, only few, I'm sorry. Now, is this blessing only for the Jews? Or is it also for uncircumcised Gentiles? Well, we have been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God because of his faith. But how did this happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised? Or was it before he was circumcised? Clearly, God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. Circumcision was a sign that Abraham already had faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous even before he was circumcised. So Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith but have not been circumcised. They are counted as righteous because of their faith. And Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised. But only if they have the same kind of faith Abraham had before he was circumcised. Do you understand? Since the birth of the church, God has raised up leaders to try to really explain, to rightly divide the truth of God's word, to unify us, with truth. Because that's what brings unity. Truth. Doesn't take away from their heritage. Doesn't take away from who they are in a sense. But it does unite them with all. Because that's the purpose of God. Ultimately their identity is in Christ. Ultimately all of our identities are in Christ. So it's not about pushing our agenda and our thoughts. It's just about obeying Christ and knowing Christ and loving Christ and serving Christ because it's all Christ. It's all for Him. But I love the fact that Paul's taking his time to explain. And I, and I again, as I was studying Romans again this week and thinking about these churches that, that have these letters within God's holy book. Again, I've said this before and I'll say it again. It's beautiful. These were wicked cities. These are wicked, wicked, wicked places. But Paul was called. Churches were formed. People were being saved from all walks of life. And it brings us back to where we open as we reflected on Pentecost Sunday, that they would receive power to go forth and to tell others about Jesus. Be the Holy Spirit, you all. Lives are being changed. Hope is being restored to the captive. Who are being set free Amen. because people are going forth to tell the good news and praise God because it points back to his loving kindness he could have rained down fire on these places 
And yet he sent in fire of the Holy Spirit. And people are changing. People are changing. Lives are changing. Hearts are being renewed and restored. All for his glory. It's all for him alone. So that's just a beautiful expression of understanding the call of Abraham and who he is and the richness and the vastness of the history that we have of the children of God. Go to Psalm 13. Psalm 13. Oh, the book of Psalms. It's good to be back in the Psalms. I always call it the book of hope. The book of transparency. Again, these psalmists are just people like you and I. Men like you and I who were just created by God, for God. And yet they were dealing with life issues. Anxiety, depression, sickness. I mean, you name it. They were living under it. The weight and the burden of sin that to the point it was, they felt like as if their bones were being crushed. And yet, as transparent as they were about their circumstances, they keep pointing us back to God. And oh, how that should be a staple of our life. Psalm 13, from King David. Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish within my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Have you been there? Have you walked through a season like that yet? If you haven't, it's coming. And you say, well, that's not real encouraging, Pastor. Well, that's why I'm giving you the psalm. So you have some encouragement when it comes. We all go through. It's life. I'm not going to paint a picture up here until you're going to live your best life now when that's not reality. Reality is, in this world, you will have trouble. Because that's what Jesus says. But be of good cheer. Be of good cheer, Jesus says, because he's already overcame the world. So we can put our hope in Christ. David is pinning this psalm. He's being very transparent How long will you forget me? Forever? Silence. How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul to the depths of my being, God? The sorrow that's within my heart every 
day, how long, how long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Notice how there begins to be a shift. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat saying we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because He is good to me. All in one little song. He reminds Himself. It's, it's, again, we're not living in this weird, warped, like, Crazy people. <coughs> I don't got no problems. Everything's good. Blessings, 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 blessings. And then we close our doors and we're schizophrenic and we're chaotic and all the craziness and we're up and down, left and right. But then we put on this weird facade that, oh yeah, bless, bless, highly favor, bless, bless, highly flavor, fa- favor, soaring high with the eagles. Oh, no, 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 David, 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 don't you know you don't speak because words have power? Don't, don't say that, David, shh. Would you rather him keep it in? I'd rather him pin it for us to sing it. To know that if King David experienced, that I'm no different, I'm experiencing it. That I can, like King David, can call upon the Lord and remember, God, you have rescued me before. And if you've done it again because of your unfailing love, you'll do it again. I don't know when. I don't know how, but God, you won't let my enemy gloat over me. And then you shift your thoughts from you to God. And if I have to endure your silence, then I know it must be for my good. See, I don't know how you talk to yourself or how you truly live this out. God, I hope you are. God, I hope you are. Because if not, then what are you doing? You're on your way to hell. (laughs) With Jesus on your lips. And he's not in your heart. What an awful place to be. Awful place. And you say, but Rob, don't you have anything good to say? Would you not hear the goodness in it? Come to Jesus. Repent of your sin. See yourself cleansed as a whole person. Not broken, not shattered, not guilty, not condemned any longer. Free. He who the Son has set free is free indeed. There's an eternal kingdom awaiting. Prepare this day and the days to come for your bridegroom. Live for him, love him. Yield to Him. Receive from Him. Honor Him. 
and all that you say and do, well, you don't know my life, then if, you, if that is your excuse, then you don't know my king. Have your life. But I would rather you have my king. Stop making excuses for the same pattern of sin in your life and in your family's life. Continue to pass the same generational crap on over and over and I mean we just keep making excuses for it. As if that's somehow honoring God. When God has set you free, so that you're the one who's broken the generational curses, yes. so that you can begin to pass down righteousness, yes. holiness. God's word. That they would know how to live for God. That they would know how to love God. That they would understand what it is to have a standard of righteousness in their life. God, help us. God, help us. Youth in which I hear and I and I speak to and the homes that they're coming from and, and they're in their so-called Christian homes and I'm like ah God they're not they're not they're not I go Jesus what have we done with the youth and I have to encourage them. No, no, no. Don't look at the God of your parents. (laughs) Oh, God. Let me introduce you to the true God. The true Christ. Because the Christ in which they think they know is truly the Antichrist. He's not Jesus. He's not Jesus. He's a form of wickedness. And that's not God. I thank God for the season I have to, to mentor these young, early 20s, young teenagers, before you before a few 18-year-old, 19-year-olds, and I just look around the table and I'm just like, oh, God. They just, they just want to know you more. But try and have to work through all the lies and the deception and the facade that has been presented to them. <clears throat> and the hurt that they carry. I'm just like, God. Jesus. Like we gotta do better, church. We really do. We have to do better. We gotta stop making excuses. We gotta do better. Again, I keep encouraging y'all, you all should care more about people's eternities than you do their temporalness. I mean, you really need to. Well, they don't want to listen, they fight, they do. Just keep sowing the seeds. Keep watering the seeds. Keep living your life before them. Stop going along with them. Stop making excuses for them. And for God's sake, stop being codependent with them. They're not changing. God has no access to them because you're their God. You keep providing. They have no consequences to their action. 
well, I don't want them to, I don't want them, I don't, then you're going to be their God. And they will end up in hell. They need consequences so that God can reach them. We need to get out of God's way. And we just need to surrender and say, here, God. They're ultimately yours. Yes. <clears throat> Listen, there's a way to live, you all. And this is a perfect example in today's psalm of going through and trusting in God and in God alone. Go to Proverbs 19. Two nuggets of wisdom. Verses 15 and 16. Lazy people sleep soundly, but idleness leaves them hungry. Keep the commandments and keep your life. Despising them leads to death. Oh, there is a way in which we are called to live, you all. And it is for the glory of God. I'm going to close this with this last song, and then I'll close this in prayer.
You know 